Welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast number 290. I'm your host, Brian. Joining this evening, Mac. Good evening, everybody. And Mad Cat is with us. Hey ho! I'm not sure about pounds or. Well, there's a lot of pounds in here, isn't it? <laughs> there, there is a lot of pounds in this. And of course, the man who isn't a romance novel but romances me every week, the dumbass himself. Hey, Brian, you know, I think this is going to be a good one in the end. <laughs> I, I hope so. Well, that isn't going to end it. <laughs> but our romance novelist is not with us, but because of peer pressure, he has written The Courtship of Georgie Armand. Link's to come. So we browbeat him into... into Wait, you into, got Link to come? Apparently, that's uh, what it we're, says. We're getting a celebrity? It says, it says The Courtship of Georgie and Armand. Link coming, so I don't. I, so I guess it ties into the video game. Maybe. <laughs> well, if he got Link to uh, to promote his stuff, he's doing pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that. But that's what it says. Link coming. So I. I mean, and we know he's a romance novel now, so we should take that at face value, or or as literally as possible, I guess. <laughs> So uh, we're um, uh, we all agree that this is what he decided to uh, name the project that uh, we called uh, Georgie and Armand after. I, I think you might be right. It does sound like it, doesn't it? Oh, I also had him on a po- on a uh, live stream. Oh yeah, how'd that go? I saw I saw the email for that. Yeah, it went pretty well. Um, I did have a few of the guests tag to me afterwards. Uh, gay gay dragons, Sherry. <laughs> What? <laughs> I don't. I don't see. I, I, listen, I've read Taken by T Rex, so I don't think that uh, the two gay dragons is really that big a stretch. No, no, they R- really don't Gold know what to write or anything. But uh, yeah, the one who was the most confused was uh, my friend in uh, New Zealand. <laughs> it's like these people have never done any role playing. I don't think he ever had. Ah. However, what he has done is a lot of rolling. He's rolled down hills. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well. Hills of passion. <laughs> yeah, right into the passion group. The sequel okay. to Good Golly Miss Molly. I heard that she likes the ball. A lot of balls? No, balling is in having sex, but, you know, whatever. It's an old, it's an old, it goes, it goes way back. The old, you know, yeah, way back. I've, I've heard of it. Have you? Well, okay. Just have you ever done it? I have heard of Ian and Dumbass's masturbation oh. moment brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. The Amateur Skeptics present Ian's Masturbation Moment, brought to you by the Dumbass Media Empire. The Dumbass Media Empire, bringing you content that touches people while they touch themselves. So this first story, I I, I was unsurprised to hear that a store called Poundland was selling sex toys, much less butt plugs. I I mean, what else would they sell? Right, okay, so um, there's this uh, uh, UK store called Poundland, um, which I assume is in reference to the British Pound, Um, although, uh, I mean that, um, uh, the, uh, the name is a, uh, in joke, uh, down there. They probably say to people, Hey, you want to go down to pound town with me? 
Or pound land. Pound, so land. pound land. Pound land. It's pound land, not pound town. <laughs> <laughs> no, pound town's so, a yes, nightclub. This is, this, this is a budget store. It's a, um, yeah, a dollar store, and, essentially, uh, right? Yeah, essentially. And so what, in um, Canada, would that be a loony store? Would you would you have uh, a loony we, land? Would probably uh, we, be we a have. toonie land. <laughs> we, we, where we, yours we is a loony, and... ours would be a toonie. Uh, only one of you can talk to me at once. Go ahead, Cuz. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was just saying we do have uh, uh, stores with the name uh, Looney in the title, although the most popular one around here is just called Dollarama. Okay. I I think that the I think that the appropriate name for that store would actually be the Looney Bin. <laughs> I think we have a couple of those too. <laughs> I believe we do. But, I think I've heard of it. But what's going on? So so Poundland was selling. A two-pound uh, butt plug, and we're not talking about weight now. We are talking about the British pound. So essentially, what what would be a two-dollar butt plug? Yeah, or I maybe a four-dollar plug. There, that would be a cheap-ass plug. That would be a cheap-ass plug. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like our sponsor. <laughs> now that uh, I'm not sure about the difference between the pound and a euro, um, and how that works. But so uh, I think but, that the symbol for euros there is that euros. I thought that I thought that was. Okay, I I thought that, that was I thought that was the, I thought that was I don't know what I'm looking at. I don't know. I don't know. I, you know what? I'm an American <laughs> citizen. It's really and, cheap. Uh, if, if it's euros, I it uh, translates to about uh, uh, two dollars and eleven cents U.S. Okay, but if it's but if it's the pound, I'm looking up if it's pound. Yeah, it's 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 probably closer to three or or better, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Whereas Canadian, where we, Wait, ours is less than yours. So what's the controversy here? The fact that this that this uh, this store is selling uh, a butt plug, or the fact that it's only two dollars? I mean, um, it, it's uh, a little from all, column A, a little from column B. A lot of uh, customers were surprised to find him there, and uh, some uh, a oh, little uh, disturbed test. by it. Um, but uh, uh, there, there are people warning that uh, uh, such a, uh, a cheap uh, uh, sex toy. Uh, might be risky because you, you don't know uh, what materials uh, it's made out of, uh, which got me thinking because, you know, like um, uh, I see like regular butt plugs and stuff out there, like just made with uh, rubber, like rubber uh, items of that t- general size aren't really that expensive. And I think, you know, like uh, butt plugs uh, uh, tend to be, um, you know, like a little more expensive than what you'd uh, uh, think just because of their status. Uh, so, so like it, it doesn't surprise me that they'd be able to make make a butt plug uh, this size and everything, but what what uh, surprised me even more was that uh, uh, the British uh, sex toy uh, industry is largely unregulated with, with regards to what materials they use and uh, uh, the safety standards. Right, and and I and I don't. Is there any place where this is actually well regulated? Um. I, I, yeah, I was wondering that too, uh, which uh, will bring me up to uh, the second article because apparently uh, it's not that uh, well uh, regulated in the U.S. either. No, we do, we barely like to admit that they exist, much less regulate them, right? Right. And, and in fact, um, if if we can't outlaw them entirely, which you know Texas has tried to do, right, saying that you, you can't have more than you can't own more than six dildos, um, yeah, you, you know, then then. <laughs> I mean, joking all aside, we're so prudish in this country that that I mean, if they if they were going to regulate them, they would try to probably regulate them to the point where you couldn't sell them, as opposed to, to as opposed to just making them safe. Right. Like, uh, yeah. Um, 
there there's a quote from uh the bottom of this uh article actually oh, hold on a second um it, it basically that um uh, uh, America is like really lax in terms of safety standards for them, but really uh, aggressive in terms of uh, uh, policing their distribution. Right. Yeah. We're not. We're not. We're not concerned about what they're made of. We're concerned about the fact that people want them in the first place. Exactly. So, to, so Toy expert brawn handed discouraged people I, from saving money on their butt plug. <laughs> I'm looking. The, the The problem with this industry is because it is as prudish as it is. It they they can get away with extremely inflated pricings because of just how because of the, the, the what they're selling right because they're around sex and because it's unregulated entirely i, I think that and in because they're technically novelties what they yeah, sell yeah, these things for that's a, they're, they're basically uh, they manage to like get around like any regulation by just classifying these things as novelties it's like nobody's looking into them for like uh safety standards for going up uh, sensitive places. Right. So I'm looking here at uh, the at the uh, at Jimmy Jane. Um, Jimmy Jane is uh, they, they make sex toys and I, I would and I would typically would consider them to be fairly a fairly reputable manufacturer. And I, when I'm when I'm looking at butt plugs on this site, they're, they're I mean, their stuff is not cheap. Thirty five dollars is, is the cheapest one that I see. Um, and of course, they go up from there, and, and and I can probably, and and I would hope that you know that I you know that that what they what they're telling me is true, but because there's no way to be for me to know for sure, it just says silicone. But what what grade silicone is it? Are we sure that it, you know it's it's a, of the proper quality and, and stuff like that? I I wouldn't hesitate to buy from Jimmy Jane, right? Here's the thing: is that if you can't afford that, there's a chi- there's a Chinese knockoff that you can go buy that you can probably get for five dollars. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and that's uh, absolutely crazy. And I mean, like, if they're if they're like not even being regulated, how did like let's uh, never mind uh, whether there are chemicals that uh, in it that might you know like interact poorly with your genitals, sure, uh, leave you a rash or anything like or, or like uh, even like more long term effects. Um, what, uh, like they're, they're, they're not even rated for like, will this thing like, um, uh, break really easily. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, if you try to try to pull it, will it snap maybe? And then you've got a little awkward situation there, which uh, I imagine you'll probably be able to, it wouldn't be, you, you might need to go in for some help with that, but probably wouldn't be too hard to get that, that out. But you well, know, like you, still... you just remember that you tell them I fell on it. I fell on this uh, broken butt plug. <laughs> or my son found it in the in the street and so, wants to take it home. Yeah, but in, yeah. In, and in general, silicone is a pretty safe product. But the, but the issue is not is that there's a uh, what, phthalates that that you that we find in them. Yeah, um, yeah, and I mean like uh, there um, there are like uh, uh, different uh, materials uh, that they use, but. The, like no regulation on uh, what what materials. Like uh, we were talking before with uh, was it um, the uh, onyx dildo or something or some, some sort of stone dildo that we were saying. Oh, oh like, yeah, uh, really it looked porous. It looked very uh, porous, and, right? And w- would uh, be a kind of like a, 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 a hygiene um, danger there. So um, phthalates tend to to make I think that whatever um, that they they tend to be softer and stretchier. 
right? But they're porous, and so they they can harbor a lot of bacteria, so they're much harder to clean. And so that's why phthalates are a problem. And silicone, you know, depending on the silicones, you know, tend to can be a lot more rigid, so and and won't be as soft and flexible. So I think that so so depending on what the texture of the product, you know, that they're using different materials, and because there's no regulation, uh, you know, about bacteria harboring and stuff like that, they don't have to worry about that at all. Right, they can make it out of whatever material they want. We and we've talked about um, the, these materials before on the, on this podcast. We we did a whole show on on the on these uh, phthalates and other materials. Mm. Yeah. So you're saying and, that and these? Like I'm saying it's not just phthalates either. It's like uh, any number of ways that uh, uh, safety uh, could be compromised by uh, uh, poor choice of materials so, uh, or uh, or manufacturing methods that just aren't being looked at so and it said in here that they found like they they said that they found um bodily fluids on some of these and i assume that they bought them new and then tested them for bodily fluids does yeah, it say i don't know what i don't know what that that's about because like uh if, if you receive a dildo that i mean like uh i yeah like how, how, how do they get used make sure it works i, I don't know <laughs> and 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 who knows maybe i mean did, did, i I don't know. Watch these things when you get them, no matter who they come from. Holy mackerel! Because yeah, because they they said that they they reached they they got stuff from a. Um, they say we went to different retailers. We went to Amazon and other sites, and we bought uh, both products. Uh, explained Lawless, who who also owns the. You know, maybe there are unscrupulous people out there like resealing resealing dildos I, I and don't stuff know. that uh, they've already yeah. used because they they didn't quite like them enough or something. But here's what they said: they found they uh, they said that we found some uh, some of them had tra- uh, traces of lint that were from the from cloth, and some of the some of them had bodily fluids on them. Some of them um, even had pubic hair, uh, where. Uh, and we were like, "This is truly disturbing." Yeah. Now the the yeah, lint and stuff. So the the lint could just be because maybe they, in the cleaning process, in the end, they weren't using a lint free lint free cloth, and so you still don't want to use that necessarily. But that the, the lint, I guess you could forgive, but the bodily fluid and pubic hair, you could not. Oh no, no. Um, even if they were using the proper cleaning thing on it those are not good things to have on it no 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 well not until after they're sold of course they said that this is a 15 billion dollar industry and is that just 15 that's probably just the u.s right that doesn't include canada and and other places i mean that the mm-hmm. other pl- yeah wow just gotta watch out for things like that and stuff that they invent to you know electrocute men in bed so I mean, at least though, if if you had if you had a proper silicone product, you'd be able to clean it up, right? None of these things would be would ultimately you, you would think would be a problem. Um, but you gotta kind of I don't know if it if if it had pubic hair on it, if these things were used before they were sent out. I mean, that's disturbing. Very disturbing, especially since it's a bugger to get into the packages usually. You know, I'd like to see the documentation on that and like exactly how many uh, uh, of the products they. I, I would, I would, I would certainly like to know a little bit more about their methodology as well. You know, I mean, what, what, what exactly were they doing? Um, it, yeah, but here, but it, I don't think is it different in Canada. I'll bet you it's not. No, no. I, 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 once I saw that, it's uh, not done in the U.S. I, I have. A, I didn't look up whether it's done in Canada, but I, I doubt it's any different. You are you guys less prudish than we are? The U.S. is so prudish about this stuff. Well, we're prudish, but 
I mean, oh. um, I think maybe a little less uh, less than Americans, but you know, like uh, where. We, we we still got uh, the uh, the whole uh, Victorian prudishness stuff that you guys inherited as well. Okay. And a whole bunch of uh, religious and red belt. Yeah, it just it, it does us a lot of harm. You know, in cases like this where we should be regulating the safety of these products, not whether they should exist, right? Um, I I just fear with the, with the way that with the, with the way that the with the US is that if we started pushing for any sort of legislation that that would open the door you know for you know for these people who don't want them to be sold at all and that and and you know we would just have a huge fight but they really should be regulated for safety mm. yeah it's a, a I didn't realize how much of a buyer beware market it was I didn't there. either it's like uh, we were, because, uh, like, uh, uh, I believe we've uh, recommended uh, before in the podcast only use, like, uh, um, uh, Silicone. you know, professionally created yeah. sex toys. But, like, I mean, you can't even necessarily trust that. But if if we were regulating the market more, you got to wonder if places like uh, Bad Dragon would be able to exist, right? Because they, they and, and their products are probably fine, right? You hope. I guess we don't know for sure. Um, but... You know, we have a lot of little, like, small independent sex toy makers, actually, which is kind of a weird, kind of weird to think about it. Um, but Bad Dragon and, and a couple of others that we've talked about as well um, over the years. How would how would they how would they regulate them out of business? And would it be taken over by just a, by you know the, these huge markets? I'd hate to see that happen, but yet I'd like to see the uh, you know safety standards that could apply to to you know small upstart like that, and you know that wouldn't prevent them from being successful. So Brian, you're saying that your your garden variety cottage industry sex products should not be taken over by big dildo. Yes, I, I'm. Yes. I'm just, and here's the other thing I'm saying is that pops much doors running. My uh, my senator in particular ha- has said that that you know that he he was he was unhappy with the when with the uh, Supreme Court for not upholding Texas's six dildo law, right? Uh, I know that my senator is is going to be the first one to, to sign on for any sort of restrictive legislation for these companies, right? Not safety measures necessarily because. Because he doesn't care about that. That's not what's important to him, right? Because he can, he, you know, that that, you know, that small twenty percent, you know, that that, you know, that he can rile up with this will be much more riled up, you know, by by the idea that you know we're we're getting big dildo out of Texas. You know, it's it's such a weird uh, place to like plant your flag on, like here and no further. That six dildos, <laughs> no more. You you can have your dildos. But you know, fuck you if you want seven. I'm drawing a line right listen, here. Listen, listen. If somebody if if somebody owns more than six dildos, I want to know because what are they preparing for? <laughs> I understand that I somebody, but you can have as many uh, assault weapons as you want in this state, but no more than six dildos. My mother wouldn't tell me about the orgy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. Like what, what? What is this? Like this hard line that you've drawn in the sand between six and seven? I don't it's like, know. well, it's, how would your well, seven uh, how is would so your... much worse than six? How, how you know they, they, uh, we we know that six six is fine. Seven seven, you're going to fucking hell. Or <laughs> trying to. And I don't. Was that all of Texas, or was that just Austin that had that law? 
I don't remember if if it was ju- it was challenged in Austin. I know for sure, but I don't remember if it was just Austin that had that law. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to go back and look, but I know that I know that Ted Cruz was in favor of that. But he's but he's a weird smarmy guy anyway. I don't think I have anything good. I don't think he's ever done anything that I've been proud of. That, you know, to have him as my senator. <laughs> yeah, this is interesting. The text the we 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 I think that we have to fix this. We'll write the legislation. Right, and, and it'll, it'll go great. Well, um, I suppose uh, until uh, you guys do fix it, uh, all we can uh, advise, I guess, is uh, do your research about uh, uh, possible uh, materials you might want to avoid, and uh, yeah. choose companies who you know, go by your standards. I, I do think Thanks that it, if, the, if the U.S. were to fix this, it would be good for Canada. Because because mm-hmm. I bet you the this our, our sex toy makers our, our market's bigger than yours so if the and so if they're making a oh, product yeah, I'll for bet, us I'll bet we uh, I bet we import a lot of sex right toys. yeah and 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 if you do have sex toy makers up there they probably want to sell to the U S so yeah. so they have to follow those standards so it would so it would it would be helpful it, what we do will will affect you yes and what we don't do will affect you yes. <laughs> And if what you do may or may not affect us. That is correct. <laughs> it's just it's just That's a fact. It it's just a fact. I just I, I can't fix it. That's uh, how it is. <laughs> yeah, it, that's an interesting one. Hey, but but Canada's going to fix space. We're going to try to. Canada yes. will prosecute those who commit crimes on the moon. So so that it, is, it is It is weird because you know the U.S. I mean we we like to put we like to lock people up. As much and maybe more than China, but yet we're not the ones that want that want to criminalize people on the moon. It's Canada. Can you explain this to me? Yes, uh, um, <laughs> there's an amendment to Canada's criminal code, um, which will now make uh, any crimes committed by a Canadian on the moon um, uh, subject to uh, the rule of law uh, under uh, uh, Canada's laws. Um, apparently, we've already done this uh, uh, for the International Space Station, um, and uh, now uh, we are uh, doing the same uh, for the moon. And I guess from there, all of space, um, we are, uh, of course, this is uh, the um, beginnings of our plan to take over. Yeah, it's a slippery um, slope. I, I, I agree. Oh, hey. MS, I, I yeah. thought that in space, no one could hear you say, sorry. <laughs> or the boot. The boot. But you know that's how we're going to do it. We're do, we're just go, going to like uh, piece by piece. We're going we're going to take over. Just move in. Uh, you know, brushing by it, just saying sorry, excuse me, all the way. But it mm-hmm. it does just apply. Sorry to... about that. I, oh, I'll, I'll take over from you here. Yeah, sorry, I, I got to get out of the way here. It, it is weird okay. when when I think about it because if you go to China, you're subject to Chinese to China law. If you go to Japan, you're subject to their laws. So it does seem like that that if you but now if you're Canadian, yeah, so that, that by by uh, by a simple <laughs> extension of that logic. Um, that of course means that the ISS and the moon now belong to Canada. Uh, exactly, that's, kind of, that's exactly where I was going. <laughs> you have to remember that Putin does consider Canada as the third most dangerous country. He does. Yes, you guys aren't even in the top. We are. Yes. Wait, you are more dangerous than we are. That's what Putin thinks. <sighs> well... I hadn't heard that. What, what, what's his justification? I'm gonna find it. 
Yeah, that that that's fascinating. Is it is this because we have Trump and and we and we basically become almost almost be, you know the the people that support Trump have become an arm of the of the Russian uh, Russian citizens? It's so weird. It it is weird that 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 the change has happened here in the U.S. in, in regards to, to how how we are treating Russia. Um, you know, underneath the the the, oh, the Trump, you know, the the Trumpists, and the Trumpists in Congress don't want to condemn what uh, what Putin is doing. It seems like we weird. It's it this is weird. Was back in March, okay. Russia issued a list of states that have committed unfriendly acts against it as nations around the world pile on sanctions in response to its invasion of Ukraine. Moscow say, said on Monday that all corporate deals with companies and individuals from the so-called unfriendly countries would now have to be approved by a government commission. I mean, you got to figure uh, we put more sanctions than just about anybody, haven't we? But yet he did. But oh, maybe this is a different list. Oh, okay. This one has uh, Russia's list of unfriendly countries, but U.S. is top this time. Okay, I would that I, that I would be surprised if we weren't. So, what are you pr- oh, talking about? No, no, these these are all in. Uh, oh, nope, they're not in alphabetical order. There's the U.S., Canada, Albania, Andorra, Australia. Uh, oh, Croatia's down there, but it's further down than us. Yeah, so I'd be and, interested in, in the list of when that list that you're talking about was produced that didn't have the U.S. on there. Um, and was it why Trump was president? Because that might have been true why Trump was president. If he had done this while Trump was president, the the U.S. response would look different, I think. I, I think eventually we would have had to cave. But you, when you listen to Trump's rhetoric going around the country just currently, he, he's, he's, he's still pro-Putin. <laughs> so, weird. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, think that, I think that if Trump had still been president, I think we would have seen a very, very definite response. I'm sure that Trump would have invaded the Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Let's let's talk about Operation Rubicon. Is that okay if we skip to Rubicon? Rubicon sure. sounds interesting. All right. So okay. So this is so this is a CIA operation originally called the Soros, and then and then call and then later called Rubicon. Um, I have. One of these that has a timeline in. Let me see. Let me go a few. Uh, so, Crypto Crypto AG is a is a is a company that was started um, basically by the by the CIA in uh, West Germany, and it was I think was it started in nineteen I want to say it was started in nineteen fifty one, and and the the gentleman that that had started this was sympathetic towards towards the U S. Um, and and he basically agreed to this proposal by the CIA and um, uh, in West Germany. And originally, they, they were they, the 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 product that they were selling was a it, the, what they're doing is that they, what what crypto AG sells is cryptography. And when we're talking about in this case, we're talking about machines. So much like the the German Enigma machine, uh, it, was, it of course started around that time. And uh, the Japanese, uh, the Japanese had one called a purple box. There's been, there's, there's lots of them, um, you know, at, at different times and places, right? I think the Enigma machine is is the one that we think of most, but Crypto AG has sold many more of these machines than um, than than 
the enigma machines that are at least left on the planet, right? So they, they, those are those are extremely hard to come by, and they're expensive now. Um, <clears throat> but what this company has been doing is selling these machines, and they're selling them out of Sweden. So they're selling them out of a neutral country, and countries such as Egypt, Iran, um, and a whole bunch of other companies uh, countries would buy these machines. And so if if you were a friendly country to the U.S. and, and West Germany, you would get a machine that was um, that that was secure. But if you were Egypt or Iran or another place like this, you would get one that was compromised in such a way that we that your your messages could be decrypted. And for years, the CIA has been has been decrypting these messages and collecting intelligence in this way. Wait a minute, Brian. You're <clears throat> saying that Egypt's box was broken into. No, you're, you're saying that it was it was de-encrypted. It was hacked. I'm saying that they, I'm saying that they were sold a they were sold a box that the U.S. could decrypt. Basically, they they had they had the keys to decrypt it. It was it was compromised. I don't when think they that's sold possible. It oh no, I don't think that's possible because Egypt's box was designed to essentially uh, decrypt letters into images of say. An ibis or a heron or a water jug. That's uh, RS encryption. RS encryption. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. It did fool Joseph Smith. But yeah, so so the so the, our our and um, I mean the the history on this is is pretty wild. Um, the 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 way that I mean. So at some point, the German government pulls out, and uh, I, I don't know who. Um, I guess, I guess maybe maybe this is in the 1970s when the CIA essentially bought into it, and and they and at some point you know they they were subsidizing them for a while because you know for for some of these sales, but the CIA ultimately makes a hell of a lot of money uh, off of crypto AG that they're able to you know to invest into other you know espionage types of um, ty- um, uh, actions that they're doing. Uh, reading through this story, it, it is amazing. That it was never it was never found out, but you know all of, all of our presidents, you know, were were you were, were they, I, I don't think they always knew where the intelligence was coming from. I, the, you know, because I'm not sure that Reagan knew about it. He ultimately Reagan is the is the reason it gets compromised, um, and uh, and and comes down. And I guess in 2004 is when it finally shut down. And I and I I'm thinking that it was 2015 when the story was finally completely broken. Uh, maybe it was uh, 2015. 2014. Not all of our presidents have fully understood what the word intelligence meant. Well, there's that, right? Um, but yeah, but so that so, I mean, but for years we were we're using we were using these these cryptography machines to, to spy on other countries, and because they were being sold out of Switzerland, it wasn't questioned, except for um, Russia wouldn't buy them um, because of the because of their association, uh, what what they thought was an association with the U.S. and they were correct. Um, but be, even though they weren't using them, other countries were that were communicating with them, and so we decrypted a whole bunch of information that way as well. Um, the guy who who ran it um, ultimately he, he his he thought when he was done his son would run it, but the CIA didn't like him. They considered him a wild card. And you know the way the story is put together, you know, and some people when they tell it will tell you that you know that that he died under suspicious, either suspicious, but the other article that I was reading said that he died in a car crash and that there were no foul play seen. But we do know for sure that the CIA um, didn't want his son to be running the company. 
And so there's suspicious things like that. Things have leaked out over the years here and there. Um, but but overall, they, they operated pretty successfully and made a lot of money. And um, they, they, I think the company is still around, right? But it became less variable as we moved from hardware you know, types of encryption pieces to software encryption, right? So the way that we encrypt stuff now... Um, I mean, it has flaws, right? But it's but it's but it's pretty simple. I mean, your phone is more sophisticated than than some of these machines were, and can send you know and can send encryption um, that 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 these machines could have never you know, even conceived of. Um, Bruce Schneier wrote about it when, when it happened, but I think that all, I think that a lot of this stuff might have um, came out with Snowden as well that he released a lot of this. So. I found it pretty interesting and pretty fascinating to go through the article and just look at the history of what what they did for years, and for and for something like this to go on for fifty years, um, and, and and before it was exposed, that, that's pretty good. Mm. I was trying to see if there's any other highlights that, um, I mean, we can't go over the whole story. It's just it's just too involved, um, and and with everything that they were doing. You know, it's interesting. Uh, we we always hear of uh, shenanigans uh, conducted by the CIA or whatever. Uh, I, I'm wondering, like, uh, I'd like to see like um, uh, some collection of uh, um, uh, you know, like uh, stories like that from other countries where their intelligence agencies did uh, 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 like rip big coups and got like information that they shouldn't have or or whatever. So, heist. Um, the 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 last the the. the... <sighs> Yeah, I mean, the, we we have a lot of stories from the CIA. The the this I, this first came to to my um, I, I I first learned about this from the Malicious Life podcast, and they did a three part series, and and they and and we cannot do justice to it. What 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 they did with that is they broke it all down, and they really told this story. Rand Levy went through every single bit of it. And, and, and it was extremely fascinating. Um, and just recently, he, he actually um, did an interview with a CIA agent. Um, that, and, of course, you know, he, he's limited what he can talk about, but he has put out some books. And so, you know, in, in that, he, they started out that interview, that interview that talking about, was it Project Shaggy Dog? Um, and this was a CIA project where they, had a, they, they, they needed to get into a facility. And so they, they, the person that they had um, that would go in and out, they, 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 they basically were able to, to tap somebody um, that was going in and out of the facility, and they, and they got a big dog, and they put the dog in the back of the car. And so when they were going into the facility, the dog would be in there, and when they were leaving, the dog would be in there. And, they, and, and the guards came so conditioned to seeing the dog that at some point they didn't think anything of it anymore, right? You know, the, okay, yeah, the dog. And then, and so at that point, they take they take the dog costume and they and they they take a dog costume and they put a person inside of it, and they and they drive him right through, you know, because there's you know oh, there's the dog, no problem, right? They they don't do anything any more check the dog. They're so conditioned to see the dog that now when they had the guy in the costume, the guy was able to get into the facility. Um, and and the the reason that was important is that the, the guy that they were talking to hires. Um, he he was he was hired by the CAA to go into other in you know to work in this other state departments and he would actually he was the one that would uh, hire the mole that they were going to use um, to to get whatever information they were going to do right and so he's been doing this for years he he's responsible for um, 
for a, a lot of the intelligence um, gathering that we've gotten over the years. And, and I think that he, I think he's he's credited with stopping a lot of, um, you know, uh, a lot of big actions against the United States. Um, but he would be the one that would go and talk to somebody. And, 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 you know, and he, he, would, he would look for a hook, right? Because happy people don't turn on their country. So if somebody's going to do espionage, he's looking for somebody who is in, in, a, in a financial pinch, is unhappy with something that's going on, right? And he talked about what it, what it takes to get somebody to turn on their country, right? But in this case, with Crypto AG, they already had somebody who was sympathetic in a, in a, in a neutral country that they could use to sell um, a piece of equipment to a whole bunch of countries that they wanted to spy on, right? But the CIA has been doing this, but this is, this, this is the kind of stuff the CIA does. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the, the, crypto, the, the crypto phones that were being sold, that was, the, uh, that was also partly the CIA, I think. Um, we talked about that a while back. But yeah, other countries must have stories that are just as good. But, mm-hmm. you know, in Russia, you, you, I don't know if you can tell those stories, right? I mean... Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the big thing about the states is this, uh, the you, you guys have like a, a huge influence, so like I guess more stuff for your CIA to do. I, that could be true, but I think that I mean I think that other governments are conducting these things. I, I don't know to what extent Canada is, but I think that you know England is conducting these kinds of things. I mean that's what uh, you know that um, isn't that well, kind of what MI six had... does? Aren't they the counter to our CIA? Well, we have had the uh, great Canadian maple syrup hikes. Okay, let, let, let's move on to that. Well, what's interesting about that is that it was about five years. Five years? No, I think it was. Anyway, what had happened was in Quebec, 3,000 tons of maple syrup had been stolen from the Federation of Quebec. Maple syrup. What is At the Federation 2000- of Quebec? Federation of Quebec maple syrup. That's the company? Uh, that's the... Uh, Sounds like a government authority. Yeah, that's what, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, that's how Quebec is, never mind. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, oh. the syrup, uh, confederate, uh, that sounds more like a, it's, uh, a central place where syrup goes to. Let's see. Um, kind of like milk, where you get milk from each, uh, each milk, uh, each group of, each farm you go to get the milk from each farm. And then bring it back to a central unit to process. So, is it is it a government agency that's pro, that that's that's regulating and, and doing the processing of the maple syrup? Uh, the government is in it. Um, Federation of Com- of Quebec maple syrup production. production. Yep. Okay, so the Federation of Quebec maple syrup produ- producer is a government-sanctioned private organization. It regulates the production and marketing of maple syrup in Quebec. As of 2011, the FPAQ produced 94% of Canada's maple syrup and 77% of the world's supply. Yeah, that's that's Quebec for you. So they're a government-sanctioned private company. Yep. Okay. It's not surprising because uh, Quebec gets an awful lot of ability to regulate. <clears throat> yeah. So so um, well, I mean, government-sanctioned though means I mean they they, they they've uh, do they imbue them with certain powers, you know, to to regulate maple syrup production? Well, and this, and so. when they found out that there was an issue, the Surette Quebec, RCMP, and U.S. Customs and Border Protection launched a massive investigation on on this. Uh, so tell us about how this heist happened. Yeah. Well, basically, what had happened was they would the people would uh, trade off 
barrels that were in the uh, that were in the facility. Uh, they have a facility where the barrels are capped. So what they would do was get in there somehow by tricking guards or uh, going and getting a job there, stuff like that, and bring in barrels that looked exactly like the barrels that they had with the syrup in, but they would exchange the barrels, take out the, uh, the barrels with the syrup, and leave barrels of water there instead of the syrup. Okay, so are these, are these employees? Uh, they were... Well, a few people from different. Uh, so this wasn't a heist in one go. They they uh, did it, this. Uh... It wasn't specifically a an inside job. It was an outside job, but they'd use people in different ways. Um, and it ran from between 2011 and 2012, nearly 3,000 tons of maple syrup valued at 18.7 million dollars from the. Uh, operated by the uh, facility operated by Federation of Quebec Maple Syrup Producers, who represents 77% of the global maple syrup supply. Many likened the group to the organization of the petroleum exporting country. Now, the heist, like I said, it happened over several months between 2011 and 2012. Um, yeah. Coordinated effort by a clever group led by Richard Vallier and his gang. There they are. Swapped out barrels of syrup with fake bottles of barrels of water, looking the exact same as real ones. The crime went unnoticed for over a year, and the FPAQ didn't notice that something was awry until the barrels, the barrels started to rust. The water made the barrels rust, which would not have happened if they were filled with syrup. Hmm. I guess that okay. syrup is sitting around for a long time then. I was thinking, you know, like some, somebody would notice it when they find that the barrels are filled with water, but I guess uh, uh, it didn't yeah, get around it, to that yet. They didn't even realize it was water. They just realized that the barrels were rusting. So they, they were just storing them, not just like really temporarily, but just like for uh, for a long period. I don't know how long uh, they store it for, but at least for a period of months they store it there, looks like. Well, they, I think they have... Um... There is a certain amount of time that you store it for specific processes, um, but I'm not quite sure. Usually, they go into uh, syrup, you know, selling syrup or uh, candies and stuff. But apparently, um, so what we're talking about here, Mad Cat, is the strategic sir syrup reserve. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not just for distribution out there; it's for like, uh, I it, guess, for like regulating at product. Probably for like regulating prices, maybe like like if there's a shortage, they it, have it some regulates prices just like the milk. The milk industry has a central unit that oh. uh, regulates prices, and the uh, uh, grains. Uh, there's a central one that does that. So you know, and they hold it and then sell it to the biggest market or whatever. Okay, so it says here the thieves of the Great Canadian Maple Syrup Heist of 2012 were ultimately tracked down. They mm -hmm. took uh, they took considerable effort for the police to determine the full scale of the operation. The subsequent investigation led to 26 arrests and more than 200 witnesses in uh, interviewed, creating a bizarre story surrounding one of one of Quebec's major resources. And it's sweet. And it's sweetest. Okay, so pun there. Uh, yeah. So, so that's interesting. So, so, so. The, I mean, this is like you're saying that 
they're they're keeping barrels back, so they're regulating the they're regulating the cost or the the you know the purchase price of this yeah. of this product as well. I believe so. It's incredible. No, and um, a lot of um, a lot of what would come from Canada usually goes to Quebec, um, <clears throat> like the milk milk from Ontario and Quebec usually dealt with through Quebec. Um, so. And Quebec usually gets the largest uh, amount. That's when they when they say barrel. Are they actual put? Are there actual barrels that the, that they that they're storing it in? Or because like 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 when we say a barrel of oil, we know what the, what a unit of uh, oil is. And they, and when we store that, we just mm-hmm. pump it all into one place. But we know that this particular container will hold fifty thousand barrels, right? A tanker can hold yeah, so yeah, many I'm barrels like, of oil. Just imagining uh, beer kegs. Well, I'm kind of just imagining beer yeah. kegs myself. Well, but, but yeah, I, oh, I have no idea how big these things are. Yeah, right, or or like you know, because like whiskey barrels come in lots of different sizes, right? Um, barrels. Yeah. So when and in, but these barrels are if they're not made of wood, I'm assuming because if they're rusting, that there's some sort of metal container. I mean, what what are they storing? The, what what is a barrel uh, for uh, maple syrup made of? What does it contain? Let me see. <clears throat> Well, if they're rusting, Brian, it's got to be iron. Well, yeah, that's what well, I was thinking. Specifically, they rust is a iron. specific. Rust is a specific process to ferrous metal. Right. Okay, fifty-three gallons ex bourbon maple syrup barrel. Okay, that's that. Okay, but now a bourbon barrel is different, right? Because it, because it it's not going to have metal on the inside of it, and you could you could potentially just keep water in it, and it wouldn't rust. Right with the way that it's sealed right. up, it has metal band, bands on the outside, and like one thing they do take do is is they are taking maple syrup and they are putting it okay, in, they, in ex bourbon barrels and aging it. Right. Okay. I have some in my fridge. Has uh, used stainless steel barrels for maple syrup. <clears throat> okay. And these are the big suckers. Okay. Forty gallon so, barrel. So they would come in, drain these barrels, fill it with water, and just let it sit in, and let it sit. Mm. Oh, they would have no. barrels. I think they, I think they, they bring brought in their the own barrels, barrels themselves and take out. Well, that's what I'm saying. They 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 would remove the, the remove the maple syrup from whatever container is in the warehouse, the the barrel, and 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 then they would ship it out and they would replace it. So I mean, well, no, they Brian, just, they were uh, doing a. They were doing a straight swap on the barrel. They brought oh, in a barrel, their own barrel of water and took out a barrel of maple syrup. Okay, sure. So they weren't um, emptying it in the facility. They, they, would, they would come in with a barrel and swap it out. Nah, it would be kind of weird for them to be standing there with a hose. Wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, but and obviously... Training of, training of maple syrup is going to take a long time So, if it's good maple syrup. I don't know how many people work at these factories, right? But 26 people is quite a few people... You know, um, for for an inside job, right? I mean, because mm. I mean, the more people you have involved, the much more likely it is for somebody to find out, right? So twenty six people, they were caught, probably. Well, they, they probably were yeah. All, they were not all working at the place, no. Oh, they weren't. They weren't they were, all insiders. No. Well, okay. All, no, they weren't all insiders. It was an mm. outside. Okay. An outside unit that uh, probably put someone in there, maybe. Okay. Uh, I don't know exactly how they. I don't think they even know exactly how they would. Uh, no, whatever the case, so they, they managed to get somebody inside, uh, either through uh, inserting somebody or through uh, co-opting somebody that was already on the inside, right? So, yeah, uh, at and least one person, maybe more, but they would have had to because how else would you get get that kind of? I mean, this is 
this is a, a big amount of, uh, of resources. And where's that one? It uh, says that, uh, you know, $18.7 million, it's uh, cost more than uh, gold, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder I where guess. you go. Like you got, you got a bottle. Uh, you got, you got a, you got a barrel of maple syrup. I wonder where you go with that. Be like, hey, you want this? <laughs> yeah, I know how to. Yeah. Where do you, where do you sell this? But it's oh, there's a Netflix entry <laughs> on it as well. It's a series called Dirty Money, in episode one, episode five, the maple syrup heist. I'm thinking. Okay, oh, so they... yeah, I, I, okay, so I remember hearing about this, and what's funny about that. Is, is so I put a story in here that also is in Money Heist, and and it's the and it's the two parter in that series about the about the the bourbon heist. Yeah, it's all pretty much the same, and this one was just Canadian. Yeah, so and how Canadian can you be? You know, maybe, <laughs> <sure>. how <laughs> did they did they ever I, recover? I do, to, I do want to talk about the bourbon one because uh, uh, I, I I want to say Pappy Gate. Oh, Peppy Gate. Okay, so let's. So yeah, so I mean, so this is a very similar story. So Peppy Ben, we Pe- Peppy Gate, <laughs> Bourbon Heist. So Buffalo Trace is a, is a large producer, and they have a lot of brands underneath them. So Buffalo Trace is one, Stag is one, uh, Pappy is one, um, uh, Eagle Rare is another. Let's see what, who else can I name? Um, anyway, there's a lot of different, a lot of very good bourbons. And Pappy is, in particular, is considered to be a very good bourbon, and this is partly because of who the um, the um, he was a, he was a, a host of, the, of a traveling food show where he go around and try everything, um, and he ultimately hung himself. Um, who who is the guy um, that I'm thinking of? He, he he was the guy who would go. He went his first episode. He goes and eats blowfish. Anyway, so he he said something about Pappy Van Winkle being a really good bourbon, and he and I don't think he was the only one, but it really made it kind of skyrocket, and it became very attractive. And but what so but what the people that worked that that work at the um at the distillery would they 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 tended to take home bottles right here and there you know they would take home a bottle and I, and I'm pretty sure that it was pretty well known that that the people were doing that, but it was tolerated. Um, and so this one guy, uh, and I think his picture is here in the article, um, in his, his name under it. Anyway, so he, he had a couple of bottles of, of and he, he had brought home a couple of uh, bottles of Pappy. And some guy, um, he, he got an offer for one, I think it was, you know, for like $3,000 for, for this bottle, right? And, and he, you know, he had just brought it home and sure he sold it. And so he was able to sell it. And, um, and what, what? But inevitably, the guy's like, "Hey, could you get me more?" And it became a thing. And so he, so here he is taking, taking you know bottles out and cases of bottles out, and he would sell these things on the side. And and and, and here's the thing: is he wasn't the only one doing it. The guy that they caught doing it, whether he was the biggest um, fish or not, I don't know. But he was the one that they ended up ultimately having the most evidence on. Um, and so, and so, the, and so, most of Pappygate gets pinned on this one person, and and he and he says that he, he, listen, it's not all me, but he does, but he admits to to you know to stealing the bourbon, and it's and at one point, they 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 take a whole barrel. The guy wants a barrel, and they're like, so and so one night, you know, they 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 bring it up around, and they pull the truck in the back, and they roll a barrel into that, and in the and the guard comes up and is like, what are you doing? <clears throat> 
and I don't remember if they paid the guard off or if they or if they had some cover story, but it, but no no didn't raise any big flags apparently, and they take off with the, with the whole barrel and they're able to sell it. And so this goes on for quite a few years, and at some point they start gathering evidence because um, because I th- I think it was some cases of Pappy fifteen year that went missing um, that. Um, yeah. He, okay. Yeah. It says he faces. Well, he says he faces thirty to fifteen years in prison for doing it. But I think it was the the you know the fifteen year cases disappearing, which he actually didn't steal. That triggered these. That that really triggered start triggering these investigations. Um, and ultimately, um, you know, they, they catch up with him, and he's uh, in in this and what and it's all pinned on one guy. Um, but the question still remains: How many people were involved? Because Here's the thing is that if he was doing it, right, maybe he was doing it more than other people. Other people were doing it. And there's a huge black market for, for, um, for whiskeys in the U.S. Um, yeah. and, and, they were in the, and they were feeding that right out the back door of the distillery. You know, they, you know they, were, they were feeding this. And the tracking that they had for this stuff was not very good. He, you know, he, I mean, he did this for years. And I think that if he had kept it to a couple bottles here and there and just making a little money on the side, he, probably nothing would have ever come to it. But, but it's when, it when the couple cases of Pappy 15 disappeared, I think that it seemed like in, in the show that that's where things really kind of took off. And, and people were like, mm. okay, what's going on here? Got too greedy. <clears throat> Got too greedy, and and and, he, and ultimately, they actually the the guy um, that actually did take the Pappy Fifteen um, gets immunity and confesses to his particular crime, and they used you know, but they use his information to, to you know to to get this other guy. But unfortunately, they'd given him immunity, and then he says, "Yeah, I took that." <laughs> and it's like, well, damn. Yeah, so it is a pretty interesting case, but yeah, so there's the there the Great Bourbon Heist, Pappy Gate. Yeah, Pappy Gate. And yeah. Maple syrup gate. Yeah, and and yeah, I think you're right that they were both covered in the in uh in money heist. Yeah, that's what <clears> it says here. It's covered in there. Yep. I just found it quite interesting. When it was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> but here's the thing: is that this guy was not like, uh, he he got sucked into it. And once he started going, it was hard to stop, right, it is ultimately what, what happened here. Yeah. Well, this one was uh, 26 people were arrested in connection with the crime. Richard Vallier was sentenced to eight years in prison as well as a $9.4 million fine with an extension to 14 years if the fine is not paid. Yeah. Wow. That's for the really? maple syrup one. No, that's for this one. Okay. No, this one was for the maple syrup. Oh, that's for the maple guy. syrup. Oh. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, was, it says he here. Was sent eight years to maybe 14. Yeah, what so they, they they pin this guy as the alleged mastermind. Um, that says there are 10 people, but, but Tony Kurtzing was the only one sentenced to prison as the alleged mastermind. And I don't mm-hmm. think that there was a mastermind. I think everybody was doing it independently. Based on what I saw on the show, but they gave every, yeah. but they, but they wanted this, but they wanted to, um, uh, Toby, and so they they gave everybody else immunity for their crimes. Coming to find out that that the crime that they were really trying to pin on him was done by somebody else. <laughs> That's what I remember. I guess I'd have to rewatch it. It was fascinating. It, um, the the I I really liked Money Heist. I wish they that they had extended that program and done some more because I think that there's a lot of these stories out there to be told. There would be. Yeah. I think there's another one in uh, in it as well that is a Canadian. Is it a Canadian yeah. one? I I remember that there's, there's at a, least there's three stories. Yeah. Yeah, there was 
Well, I know there was this, but I thought I heard about it. Well, wait. I guess season five. I guess there are more of these than I realized. I only watched season one. There's five seasons of this now. Oh no, Money Heist is the TV show. No, there's another. Yeah. There, there's a there's a show out of Mexico called Money Heist. What what was what was the heist show on on Netflix? It's not Money Heist. Um, it's something else. Money Heist is something else. What show are we actually talking about? Let's take a look again. It's just called Heist. Is it? New Netflix series, World's Biggest Bourbon Heist. Call, okay, yeah, the documentary series called Heist. It's just called Heist. It's not Money Heist. Money Heist is a uh, is uh, um, uh, it's in Spanish. I think it's out of uh, Mexico. So the show is called Heist. But I think you're right that they covered the, the the maple syrup on here as well. Yeah. All right. Do we want to cover any of these other stories or are we done? No. No? Maple syrup heist documentary is out of – Oh, it's separate. We can move to the next week, whatever you think is best. A, a new documentary site. Yeah, yeah. We'll just move. I think, I think, I think we've done enough. <laughs> How do you guys feel about enough it? Enough to mess up people's <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we have, look at the disappointment we ended on. Say goodnight, everybody. Good night, everybody. Night. That's another one in the maple syrup barrel. Okay. Maple syrup king. Well, if you've made it this far, that's an hour of your time you're never getting back. But the amateur skeptics appreciate you giving that hour to us. If you'd like to tell us how you felt about spending that hour with us, let us know at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. You could always roast us in a voicemail at 720 725-7785. The Amateur Skeptics Podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons share-alike, no-derivatives, 3.5 license. So, hand it to an unsuspecting friend, but please, just don't change the content. Intro music by Peter Kennel. Find more of Peter's music at soundcloud.com forward slash p-k-a-n-o-l. Exit music by OFM. Find more of their music at myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. Artwork for the Amateur Skeptics by Sean Smith Ford. Copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture.